Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title, Christmas Kisses with My Cowboy, featuring three stories from best-selling authors Diana Palmer, Marina Adair, and Kate Pierce. Enjoy this holiday romance anthology featuring three cowboys who are ready for love, whether they know it yet or not. The first is Mistletoe Cowboy by Diana Palmer, which tells the story of Parker, a horse whisperer not looking for love until he meets winsome widow Katie and her sweet child. Blame It on the Mistletoe by Marina Adair shows Texas Ranger Noah forced back at his family ranch. A storm and power outage leads him to rescue an intriguing woman named Faith, but who's rescuing who? And finally, Mistletoe Detour by Kate Pierce shows rancher Ted unexpectedly finding his old high school friend Veronica on the lamb. You can find Christmas Kisses with My Cowboy wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This week, before we dive into what we're both watching, we're going to talk a little bit about some breaking period drama news adjacent to Jane Austen and Regency content that we all love. It was recently announced that the Julia Quinn bestselling series Bridgerton is getting adapted into a show, and that show is premiering on Netflix on Christmas, which is really exciting. Hooray! Uh, The show itself is produced by Shonda Rhimes. It's got a great cast. It's set in London in Regency times and it's all about this powerful family, the Bridgertons, and their eldest daughter is now entering society and is of marriageable age and so she is trying to find suitors but uh, it seems like her family is kind of getting in the way of that too of, you know, maybe people aren't good enough and so she's running into some trouble but then she meets the uh, rebellious Duke who is a proclaimed bachelor and so even though it seems like they don't get along it's like sparks fly so the aesthetic of it looks beautiful there they've released only some pictures so far we don't have a trailer yet but hopefully soon but it looks beautiful i haven't read the books but i'm excited to watch this i did want to give that disclosure we did you we didn't know how crazy popular this series was i mean Mm -hmm. i remember it was years ago a couple years ago when they announced that this was one of many projects that shonda rhimes was working on under her new netflix deal it was new at the time and how people were stoked for this and just so excited and it's such a popular well-known book series that we don't know much about because we haven't read it but we are always for more excellent period dramas intrigue whatever you have we want (laughs) yeah i saw the news in the morning and then i made the mistake of checking for the book of the library online at night the whole list is you know weeks and months from now so i'm lucky if i get to read the book before christmas but if anything i'm excited to just watch it and then 
read the books after, compare. I think Bridgerton is one of those book series where like, there's a lot of books in the series and each book is probably about a different member of the family or a friend like following like their love story. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how the show tackles that and like how long it can last too. (laughs) So it'll be fun to see. It's always exciting, especially in these times when new stuff comes out, period. But also when period new stuff comes out, (laughs) that is very exciting. Especially since we're sort of like waiting on our quest, how we've invited ourselves to the set of Mr. Malcolm's (laughs) List. (laughs) Listen, if other people are filming, it's looking good. It's looking good for us. something I just wanted to like toss out into the universe that like they found a way to film. I don't know when it happened, but they found a way to film. If the Bachelorette can come back (laughs) and film in a whole house filled with people... Anything is possible. I believe that. Well, on a different modern note of something we're currently both watching, I recently finished Emily in Paris, also on Netflix. And Jillian, you said you just watched the first episode so far? Yes, I have only seen the pilot. So as the person who's finished it, what did you think? I think if you don't take it seriously, and if you don't look too closely at any of it... (laughs) It's just a fun show. Yes, it takes the most basic stereotypes of France and French people and social media and how social media works. But if you don't look too closely at that, it's a good show. It's a fun show. I can say, I mean, like the clothes are very pretty. The shots of Paris, also very pretty. It feels like it deals with a lot of stereotypes. Emily is a... Very privileged girl who goes to Paris and expects Paris to be catered exactly to her. So it makes sense why people don't like her at first. You're not like, oh no, why are they so mean to her? You're like, I get it. <laughs> You're like, I I would be mean to you. I'm just kidding. You would never be mean to anyone. But no. I'm suspicious of how much money she makes because her apartment is stunning paris is not one of those like cheap cities that you can just live in for nothing the favorite thing is like they're like this is a tiny closet of an apartment emily and then you go in and you're like this is pretty big by any any city standards i've I've, (laughs) like seen some pretty closet apartments i've lived in some closet apartments and i'm here to tell you that's a lovely walk-in princess closet (laughs) yeah I would say yes to the clothes, yes to the food, yes to the cute guys, yes to the scenery. Boom. And listen, when traveling is a thing again, I wouldn't put it past me if I go to Paris and do a little hashtag of Yolanda in Paris. (laughs) Like, I would do that too. I would follow that story. (laughs) (laughs) Stay tuned for some time in the future. In the future, when we invite ourselves to Mr. Malcolm's list set, we just sort of take a quick jaunt to the continent. (laughs) Just for that one Instagram post. Just for what we go. We find that cafe where she gets that first buttery croissant. And then we just make Yolanda in Paris. There we go. I think we should dive into another wonderful fictional story, Recipe for Persuasion. Previously on Recipe for Persuasion, Ashna learns the truth about Shobi and Brahm's marriage, which changes how she sees everything. Yeah, so unfortunately, you know, Ashna found out the ugly truth about uh, her mother and father, and she found out in an 
kind of unfortunate way where she kind of overheard Shobi and Mina's conversation, but there was no great way for this information to come out. So Ashna had to learn it in that way, but also she can finally face the truth. And Shobi honestly can also move forward of like, now you know the ugliest secret of, of my marriage. Just because this horrible thing happened, in no way does that reflect Shobi's feelings of Ashna. You know, Ashna is literally the best part of Shobi's life. I think we've been waiting for this moment of just finally having Ashna understand what's the reality of the situation and having the image of her father broken in order to kind of be free of him. So it's really cool that we get to finally move forward. And we were kind of at a rock bottom place before, and now we're kind of making our way up, which is really great. So starting with chapter 31, Ashna has been walking or running or something, you know, just kind of processing everything. And we sort of get like these montage of memories uh, as she's making her way actually to Rico's hotel. It's just a lot of her just processing like, what did I see? of my father and what did I miss or what did I like you know choose to not see either I think she's starting to acknowledge that like my father was awful and and how now can I reconcile you know the truth of what I know about him and what I've also been ignoring about Shobi which is that like Shobi isn't like this awful estranged mother who just wanted the worst for Ashna and just tried to uh, shut down every dream of hers it was like no she wanted to open up the world for Ashna you know she sort of goes into curry dreams and we find out that she hasn't been able to go into her father's office ever since they removed his remains Um, Hmm. and she's like can I nope can't do it and then she just sort of goes on a long at first it seems like it's sort of seemingly aimless like she's just sort of like it's very much plays out cinematically where like she passes like the phil's coffee and she remembers her and her father walking by there and it's interesting because i feel like this whole book we've kind of been set up to believe that ashna really idolized her father and like worshipped him and what we find out and what she kind of what's coming back to her as she's rethinking her entire life is it's not that she like worshipped him it's not that like she idolized him it's that he was the only parent who was around and so he was kind of all she had and she knew it wasn't right all the time but when you're a kid you don't know how to change the world you don't know how to change Mm -hmm. your circumstances and we're also getting flashes of like what it was like on that final like the final day of his life i mean everyone kind of thinks it's their fault that Brom committed suicide. We've gotten like little droplets and and now we're getting some splish splashes of like what she said to him, what he said to her. We get that line again of you're just like your mother, selfish. But we see this other horrible thing that he said to her, which is, it's because your mother couldn't stand being near you. You had no choice. This boy is going to do it too. He's going to leave you like your mother did. He's saying, like, the ugliest things possible to Ashna, which, like, it's not the first time either, right? Because we actually get insight into the fact that, like, when she was 10 years old and trying to decide, do I go stay and live with my mother? Do I stay here in Palo Alto? The fact that he was even then threatening to kill himself to prevent her from making any decisions, like, that fear that she didn't tell anyone about was something that she just held and kept inside of her. Like, I don't think Mina ever knew, like, just how Baba would, like, just throw those 
threats out at her and as a 10 year old like of course you're not you're like no I don't want that to happen to my parents so I'm just gonna stay here and she didn't realize just how controlling he was over her you know the thing she says is like he masked all of that with decadence like they went to these beautiful cities and traveled and had the best of the best and so she thought like like how can he be bad when he does all these beautiful things for her too but she didn't see of course as a child just like how much he was controlling her exactly and it's interesting because we're not gonna get brahms pov because he's dead we can see shobi and what she remembers we see ashna and what she remembers we even see a little rico only met him one time there was a one-time meeting where he's like i want to be with your daughter and he's like you're not good enough and that was the only time he's ever met him i feel like these are all sort of clues like i i feel like we're getting more puzzle pieces from ashna reevaluating her childhood i think it's really a lot more about the kind of person brahm was and how he was so scared of being alone it's so interesting this guy who was given everything and yet he still feels so alone that so much so that he's manipulative like verbally abusive to his 10 year old daughter who i I do believe that he loves but doesn't know how to be a good father and so he does do that hot and cold thing where at times he makes it so much fun with these like trips and these places who would want to leave this life you you want to leave this life and so you know in the moments where ashna sees the sort of emptiness in the house for what it is and she's like can i go live with mom in india especially like she came over here at the age of eight and so it talks here how about she like she missed her friends she missed her soccer team like her life didn't begin in america she had a personality and she had hobbies before and when she asked to go back to that he was like you're gonna leave me like you, your mother left us i'll kill myself that's the worst thing i've ever heard i think that's part of the thing too is that with brahm he was like he wanted ashna to start from zero he wanted her to like completely forget india forget the life she had there and even the fact that like she had been playing cricket but he switched it to soccer like no no no, you like soccer you want to play soccer like even those things and decisions like he didn't want any part of her to be marked with shobi or have any influence from shobi he was like just like trying to completely erase her from ashna's life no that's true and that's like a very effective way of manipulating people and he was good at it because here ashna is like she's 30 years old He's been dead for 12 years and she's now just putting everything together because of this new information that her mom gave her. And it was was like you said earlier, Yolanda, like there's no great way to find out how you were conceived and like the gross, dirty details of your parents' marriage. But hearing the truth of what he was like as a husband helped put who he was as a father in perspective for her. So she's just sort of wandering around and she winds up at Rico Silva's hotel. Which, by the way, I'm guessing is really far away because she lives in Palo Alto. He's in, I think, like San Francisco, which is like, depending on where you are, like a 20 to 30 minute drive. I can only imagine how long that walk was and how long she was wandering around. She comes to his hotel. She doesn't have his phone number. She doesn't know (laughs) what room he's staying in. She's just like dropped him off that one time where he like tricked her into playing soccer and having a good time. And then she sees his driver, George, and he's like, oh, hello, Miss Roger. And he sort of like sends her up the private elevator to see Rico. She's clearly just like so emotional, so vulnerable. And the only person she wants to see, the only person she can eat, like her... 
she leaves literally like a north star to her because she's just wandering around in my head and then she like winds up very far away on foot at his hotel and what i think is really beautiful about the scene i mean there's like not a ton of dialogue left in the scene because like so much of it is like these flashbacks and these like reevaluation this whole book has been a slow burn they really don't talk about stuff that much they haven't really said more than like one sentence to each other about how they used to be together how they were crazy for each other and how they're still thinking about each other i think this is a really beautiful scene because she just sort of shows up with no real plan no real expectations she really pulls a rico here (laughs) yeah yeah and she's just like i am sad and vulnerable and he just takes her into his arms and she's like your knee and he's like it's good as new it's good as new and i was like openly weeping and i was like oh my god his <laughs> knee, and she's worried and he's not the thing is rico knows her so well that he even like looks into her eyes and is like do you mean it and it's like everything you're saying to me with your eyes and it's like this connection between them never was really broken like they are so in tune with each other and they know what each other is thinking and so we finally see that come together and they kiss and then like it's like this moment of of course like this always made sense like why and even Rico says like how did we let this go and it's like you tell me Rico you (laughs) tell me we've been waiting the whole book for this but literally Mm -hmm. it's like they finally make their way back to each other in the same way I mean talking about parallels but we look at Shobi and Omar the way that it took them years to make their way back to each other and kind of fight through all the uh Deception and lies that Brahm did and, and what the Rajai family, all the secrets they try to block him from and, and even threaten him with. Now that Shobi was free, she was able to make her way back to Omar and they're in each other's life. Now that Ashna knows the truth, she goes to Rico and they're finding their way back to each other and can be together. But Ashna still feels that resistance of like, no, but ugh, can you really love me? Like, you still don't know who I am. Like, there's still unresolved conflict. So even though it's like, oh my goodness, like, it's finally happening. And like, it, we're not fully there yet. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the parallels with Shobi because... I feel like this is a really great examination, at least on the Ashna side, how like both of them were prevented from being with the man that they love at such a young age for like different but similar reasons because like Shobi was forced to marry Brahm and she was forced yeah. to have this relationship. And even though Brahm tried to separate Ashna and Rico for the same reasons of like, he's not good enough for you, don't leave me, it wasn't the same thing. Like she was not forced to marry anyone else. She didn't have the horrible marriage that her mother did but there was still a lot of emotional red tape for her to get through there were so many things that were like in her own head preventing her from letting herself have Rico and also letting herself be open to new people you know she hasn't really been with anyone else over the last 12 years she just like dove right into work this is the first time she's coming up for air truly part of you know the conflict with her is that she feels like she's trying to find excuses I think at this point she's like this can't be right like this can't be real because she's like the Ashna that Rico is in love with is someone completely different from family Ashna. She feels like Rico only loves this lie of herself and then she also kind of like reminds herself like wait 
he met my family, he met my dad, and he ran. What's gonna happen this time? Like, he's gonna run again. But she doesn't know the full truth of, like, what happened that day of when Rico spoke with Brom. So because she doesn't know that, she's just like, he's gonna leave again. So she, like, literally pushes Rico away and she she's going to leave. And that's kind of Ashna's MO, is the pushing people away so that she doesn't get close to them so that they don't, like, she doesn't give people the opportunity to leave her. It's so interesting because this is sort of the chapter where we really get into what really happened 12 years ago when they were 18 years old. And what we kind of find out in sort of like between this chapter and the next is that basically Brom found like messages on her phone from Rico. So we know she's got a secret boyfriend and he's like, Mm -hmm. I want to see, I want to meet this guy. And she's like, you're not going to meet him. And he's like, I want to meet him. And so they get into their own argument about how he's like, he's going to leave you. I mean, no wonder she's thinking it's going to happen. She thinks he's going to leave him because Brom, her father, keeps saying he's going to leave you like your mother left you. So she's dealing with that. And meanwhile, Rico gets the message from his aunt that, yeah, I'm going to go meet this guy. I'm going to confront him. I'm going to tell him they're going to be with Ashna. And he just like, talk about like any insecurity, anything thought he ever thought about himself like maybe I'm lesser of a person maybe I'm trash like Brom just is like yep can confirm you don't have parents you don't have anything you're not good enough for her this family is everything you guys like you literally live in the servants quarters I mean he's still resilient I mean he just kind of like what's interesting is we find out he walks out and he sees Shobi he like that's the first time he's meeting her mom and she's going to see Brom so and I guess we're going to transition a little into chapter 32 here you know Ashna has been doing so much reflecting when she sees Rico I feel like all those thoughts are kind of put to bed and all she can see is Rico go like she can only think like two seconds into the future and all she wants is him and she wants to take refuge in him and so they have a very beautiful passionate night together but cut to chapter 32 we get a lot more information about like what went down 12 years ago which is really the last time they saw each other like this one day is like so important to like what happened to them and who they became and who they are we find out that show you know literally Rico's on his way out having been broken down and Shobi's coming in to serve Brom divorce papers because she wants to be with Omar legitimately. I mean, it's just sort of like they haven't had a real marriage for a very long time and she's like, it's time we just like cut ties on this. And so on the same day, his wife is leaving him officially. His daughter is leaving him for another man. He just can't take it anymore. We find out that was the last day of Brom's life. This chapter is from Rico's perspective and like, so at this point, Ashna is like, ready to just leave and like put Rico behind her again and Rico is like no 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 I just got you back I'm not gonna let you go again and Ashna again she's just like kind of grasping at any kind of excuse she's like you're a soccer star you're too good for me and you know it's weird because it's like before per you know her dad he wasn't good enough and now he's too good and so it's like she's really processing a lot of this in real time like trying to come up with like excuses and reasons why it shouldn't work and then she's like well you were grieving like the death of your mother then and now you're kind of grieving the end of your career now like oh my goodness like you only need me when you're grieving or in pain and so she's like okay you're not yourself like that's why but really he's like or maybe (laughs) we find each other when we most need each other and like in their darkest moments they find light in each other and I think you know Ashna doesn't want to believe that something good is finally happening for her she's like still so resistant to it because she doesn't want to get hurt and that's fair you know she's been hurt so much already it's 
like, of course she's going to be resistant to it, but she needs to know the truth about what happened between Rico and her father that day, which is like when we hear more of like the threats that he threw at him. Like literally he was like, Ashna's underage. I can have you thrown into jail. Like literally like the same things that the Rajai family threats were against Omar. He's throwing against Rico and like insults his mother and just all these awful things. So it's like, yeah, that's why Rico obviously was mad about after meeting him. Like Ashna didn't know that side of the story. I feel like this whole time, whenever we've seen it from Rico's point of view, he's like, she left you. She chose her family over you. She chose Brahm over you. From Ashna's point of view, she just got this inkling that like her father had scared him off for real. And so she was like, fine, bye. This isn't going to work. It's not going to work. Goodbye forever. Like, it makes me so sad that like Ashna's just been so numb for like her entire 20s, like from 18 to 30 she's just been numbing herself from her family her her dad like what she thought she felt about her mom and like the way that like the breakup ended between her and Rico it was just like also traumatizing and it was essentially all in one day you think you just had a horrible day and then you come back and you like don't even get the good parts of your father anymore for like yeah. the moments where he was good to you where you know you thought he was all you had nope that's not an option anymore because and he essentially like blames his suicide on her or she blames herself for his suicide because he told her when she was 10 years old if you leave me I'll kill myself it's just horrible and so chapter 31 was about her reflecting, going to Rico. They have their passionate night together. Now it's the next morning and they're really unpacking a lot more. And for the first time in this whole book, starting on page 392, <laughs> they are finally talking about how they feel about each other, how they felt about each other, what went down that day. I like that the mountains that they have built in their heads are now being reduced to molehills. Not that they're like molehill issues, but like, I feel like when you see them as mountains, you think they are impossible. So you don't even attempt to climb them. And that's even something he says. He's like, Ash, please say what you're thinking. Don't shut me out. And I'm just like, that is so classic Ashna to be like, I'm just going to not talk about it. I'm going to back away. And I'm going to go back to my little numb hidden place. I like that he's not letting her do that. Which then I mean, we get the biggest reveal of like what we've been waiting for between them is that Ashna finally tells Rico that her father died. It was 12 years ago. And hmm, that's the he, last time I saw the guy. Yeah, he's like, wait a second. Because the last argument conversation between Ashna and Rico was under the bleachers where they met. And he was like, your father's awful. Like, how could you possibly love a guy like that? And Ashna left. She left to go to Curry Dreams where she found the most awful thing. Her father died. And that's why from Rico's perspective, he was like waiting all night at the bleachers, waiting for her to come back and calling and texting her and of course she didn't respond because she was dealing with something traumatic so from both of their perspectives they were like that's why we didn't kind of come back to each other was that on one hand Ashna was dealing with something so awful she just blocked everything out and, and didn't have the emotional capacity to like talk to Rico who she felt like he didn't realize it when she needed him most he was gone and Rico on the other hand was like well she clearly chose her family and she wants nothing to do with me so 
that's it. But now that they have that clarity, it's like, oh my goodness, we just didn't have all the pieces of of the story. And it feels like all the pieces are falling into place because it's like, this is the truth of what actually happened that day. And like, as you mentioned, like Rico is like, yeah, and this like small Indian woman just kind of came into the room when I was talking to your father. And she was like, wait, what? And yeah, blue, sorry, big bindi. Yeah. And she's like, wait, that was, you know, she didn't say it, but she realizes, oh my goodness, like that was Shobi. It's amazing to think that like you see Brom like shuffling through his drawers for something and you're like, was he reaching for his gun to shoot Rico? And it's very likely he was. But the fact that Shobi walked in in that second, you're like, my goodness, she didn't even realize it, but she likely saved Rico's life that day. I mean, think about how still tragic, but different that narrative would have been of just like, <sighs> if he had injured or died because of Brom, I mean, he'd still be around. But like, yeah, it's interesting because we talk about or it says um, that like, the family kept the suicide out of the papers. So like this should have been huge news, but it wasn't because of the influence of the family. And it's just like, I feel like so much of this book has been telling us that Brom got away with whatever he wanted. I'm not even going to sit here and be like, yeah, if he'd like shot or killed Rico, he would have been in jail. And it was like, no, I really don't think he would have been in jail at all. I think he would have found a way to walk free. Maybe. That's because I mean, Rico's an orphan. Who is going to stick up for Rico? Who's going to be on his side legally you know the rajes are probably friends with the best lawyers in san francisco i mean just the fact that like this is what they do this is what the rajes do they protect their pristine reputation by eliminating people who make it difficult for them and obviously like they come to accept rico they don't think he's a bad guy but brahm is just still in this like dark horrible place where like nobody can have ashna let's say she didn't bring like an orphaned guy like what if she she did bring home like an eligible young man like would that have been good enough for Brom or would he still come up with some reason to hate him because he couldn't stand the idea like he worked so hard to keep Ashna down and like I really don't think anyone's good enough to like quote unquote take her away yeah I'm I'm hesitant to think that anyone would have been good enough I think it may have been a situation where honestly like who knows what his plans would have been of like if there was someone that she may have already been promised to or something or like maybe they were trying to set something up where you know someone to Shobi with her father the day that he was just like, by the way, Brahms asked for your hand in marriage and you've accepted. Congratulations. Yes, I've accepted Would- on your behalf. <laughs> yes. Would he have done the same thing to Ashna of like, this uh, man has come into your life and you've accepted. Congratulations. Like, who's to say like what would have happened? But because he was so selfish, would he have just wanted to keep Ashna to himself too? And, you know, not wanted her to start a family, live a life beyond that restaurant and beyond him. And it's giving me a lot of clarity on how Shobi sees Ashna's dedication to curried dreams because every like time we hear about who Ashna was as a high school student, she was not into cooking. She couldn't even do it, burnt everything, whatever. (laughs) And her father dies and she completely throws herself into maintaining his legacy, only being able to cook his recipes, surrounding herself in like those smells and that world 
world and the ambiance. Shobi sees that as like, oh my god, she's oppressing herself. She's like, doesn't have a life. She's not happy. And we're over here like, Ashna thought of this herself. She worked really hard and she's really good at this and it brings her peace and she loves doing it and she's dedicated to it. Like, how dare you, Shobi, tell her what to do? You're all about letting women, you know, make choices for themselves and have options. And it it so makes me side with Shobi on this about how I don't know, because I don't want to say like Ashna tricked herself into loving being a chef, but like I, it definitely came from that place of wanting to redeem herself and wanting to redeem her father. I, I wonder if she's in this place where she's questioning like, did I just waste 12 years of my life trying to keep a memory alive that's not even a real memory? It's just like my fantasy version of my father. I don't think she should go there because, you know, then she could spiral even more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what have I done, like, these past 12 years? But Who I think Ashna? at this point, she just needs to be happy that she finally has this clarity and kind of move forward with her life. Um, that's the great thing about now her knowing that information about Rico because she's like, oh my goodness, I have to go. She says, I love you to Rico. He says it back like it's the most natural thing ever as if, like, it's been no time at all since they've said that to each other. And she's like, don't worry, like, I'm not leaving to leave you. I'm just leaving because I need to go resolve something. Everything's falling into place and things are looking up for Ashna and Rico. I love two things about the end of this chapter. One, I love that her sort of like romantic rush, like, I've got to tell someone how I feel, is about <laughs> her mother and her relationship with Shobi. And right before she leaves, the last thing he says to her is, I'm not leaving Ashna, no matter what happens. I'm never leaving you again. And it's just so completely against everything her father told her about Rico all those years ago about saying like he is it's not if like he is gonna leave you and here this guy is 12 years later hasn't really spoken to her in all that time and he's like now that you're back you are never leaving and I'm never leaving and I love you and I just have to have you have to know that lots, lots of, of feelings great, here <laughs> yeah lots of feelings lots of great things are happening it's really great to see Ash and Rico find their way back to each other we're almost at the end which I know the next, yeah I know it's really sad but the next time we'll talk about the book, we'll cover the final three chapters and wrap up on Recipe for Persuasion. But tune in next week because we are very excited to share that we'll be joined by Sonali Dev for an interview all about this book and also hearing a bit about her next book, which is going to focus on Sense and Sensibility called Incense and Sensibility. Great title. Tune in next week for that. And as we wrap up Recipe for Persuasion, Thank you.